Howdy, folks, and welcome to episode number 325 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Pitches Trashy Books, and this week I am talking to Courtney Milan. Of all the things that I could talk to Courtney Milan about, I think the very best topic, and I'm sure you agree, would be figure skating, specifically Yuri on Ice. Yuri on Ice, if you have not heard of it, is an anime that contains multitudes, and it has been making Courtney very happy for a while now. So I asked her to tell me all about Yuri on Ice. We discuss what she loves about the show and how the narrative structure of Yuri has illuminated for her elements of romance storytelling that frustrate her as a romance writer. Now, I have a couple of notes about spoilers and trigger and content warnings. First, we talk a bit about depression and sexual harassment at 20 minutes, 35 seconds in. And there's also a big spoiler uh, in the part where we're discussing the narrative structure, because there's a big reveal in an episode of Yuri on Ice. So if you would like to protect yourself entirely from spoilers, you will hear me break in to the conversation and warn you about how far to skip ahead in your podcast playback. I will be telling you exactly how far to go forward so you miss the spoilery parts. In this conversation, we're going to talk about storytelling structure, methods of revealing multiple plots, and other anime recommendations for curious viewers. One of my favorite things, which I'm sure you know, is to ask people who take epic, nerdy, deep dives into things about the things that they love. It is really fun to listen to someone who is passionate about something talk about how much they like it. And I find this conversation so interesting. I hope you enjoy it too. If you would like to find Courtney Milan, you can do so at CourtneyMilan.com and she's on Twitter at Courtney Milan. And if you would like to tell me about the anime that you love, I would love to hear it. You can find me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or you can call and leave a voicemail at 201-371-3272. That's 201-371-3272. You can ask a question. You can recommend anime. You can do whatever you want. Leave a message. Tell us a joke. If you got get, if you have bad jokes, you know I want them. But it is awesome to hear from you. This week's podcast and podcast transcript are brought to you by Vi Keeland and Penelope Ward's Hate Notes, available now from Montlake Romance. From New York Times bestselling authors Vi Keeland and Penelope Ward comes an unexpected love story of second-hand hearts and second chances. It starts with a mysterious blue note sewn into a wedding dress. When Charlotte Darling takes her unworn bridal gown to a vintage clothing store to sell, she discovers a note stitched into the lining of a different dress. The note, handwritten on blue paper, simply reads, Thank you for making all of my dreams come true. The name embossed on the blue stationery, Reed Eastwood. Charlotte finds the note endearing and fantasizes about the man who wrote it. Then, thanks to a strange twist of fate, Reed Eastwood becomes Charlotte's new boss. Charlotte is more determined than ever to uncovering the story behind that tiny blue love letter. But that story is nothing compared to the one that starts to unfold between Charlotte and Reed. It's getting hotter, sweeter, and more surprising than either of them could have imagined. From something blue to something new. USA Today's Happy Ever After called Hate Notes a must-read, an engaging, funny, and seriously sexy romance. Hate Notes from Vi Keeland and Penelope Ward is available now from Motley Romance. Now, I have compliments, and I love this part. Okay, to Lisa P., dinner with you is everyone's favorite meal, no matter what you're eating or where you're eating, because you are that much fun. 
and to Kelsey H. You would be surprised and probably shocked to know how many people think of you, your sense of humor, and your outstanding jokes when they need a lift, and it works every time. Now, if you would like your own compliment or you would like to find a way to support the show, you can have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. If you have supported the show with a monthly pledge, thank you. You are helping ensure each episode is transcribed, you keep the show going, and you make sure every episode is accessible to everyone. If you would like to join the Patreon community, it is super easy to do so. If you go to patreon.com slash smartbitches, monthly pledges start at $1 a month and every one makes a massive difference. Plus, you'll be part of the group who helps me develop questions for upcoming interviews and suggest guests for the show as well. I also like to thank the person, personally thank the Patreon folks. So to Deborah, Sarah, Kelsey, Rebecca, and Letitia, thank you so much for being part of this community. Are there other ways to support the podcasts you love? Yes, and I have not put this into iambic pentameter, but I probably should. You can leave a review wherever or on whatever app you listen. Apparently, these things are called podcatchers, which is like super cute. You can tell a friend. You can subscribe. You can just yell about it. Whatever works. But if I am in your eardrums right now, thank you for hanging out with me each week. Our music is provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the episode, and I can hear you saying it's not it's not the holidays yet. And also, aren't you Jewish? But hey, trust me, this this album is awesome, and I play it every year. If you're if you're a longtime listener, you know exactly who this is. At the end of the episode, I will have links, I will have jokes, I will have terrible previews of what's coming up on the site this week. Actually, be pretty great. But in the meantime, let's get started with our interview with Courtney Milan. On with the podcast. Hi, my name is Courtney Milan. I write romance novels and um, like figure skating. And That's why I wanted to talk to you about figure skating yeah. and romance novels. Right. I've never written a romance novel, figure skating novel, uh, figure skating novel. That's, that's a sentence that just had too many novels in it. I've never <laughs> written. <laughs> Let me start again. I have <laughs> never written a romance figure skating novel. Uh, so obviously I'm clearly qualified to talk about romance novels and figure skating, but just not together. Do you think you might? I'm never going to say no, but honestly, this is one of those things. It's like, so one of my favorite tropes is like girl wears pants and I've never written it because I just feel like I can't live up to my favorites. If that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't know that I ever will just because it's, it's like, you know, it's for the same reason that I don't write dogs in books often. I've only written one book that has a dog in it. Um, and I, I just have to be really careful with the things that putting too much of the things I love in books, because otherwise it just takes over. Right. And it's hard to sort of separate your feelings objectively when you need to write them as opposed to portray them and, and then right. celebrate them, which is a totally different process. Right, exactly. So the entire world is in a massive dumpster fire inside a poop taco. <laughs> and you have been dealing with some heavy shit, which I know we are not going to talk about. You have been talking about and discussing Yuri on Ice for quite a while. And then there was washi tape and there have been t-shirts and lots of things ordered from Japan. And I've sort of been watching this going, okay, cool. Can you tell me about Yuri on Ice and what it is and what you love about it? Sure. Uh, so Yuri and... I mean, it's a small question, right? <laughs> no, it's actually a very easy question. 
to answer. Yuri on Ice is a deceptively simple show about a sexy, popular genius, figure skater, and the utter dork who wins his heart. And the funny thing about that sentence is that it is true on several different levels in ways that will not make sense until you've watched the whole show. So there's a couple of so so there's there's a couple of layers to my uh, like for the show because I have like I sometimes tell people that I have two modes like off and like completely on but it's actually not true I have two three modes off completely on and holy fuck bonkers right? <laughs> so it, it it actually takes a bit to sort of unlock the holy fuck bonkers mode uh, which is what has happened here. <laughs> okay that's brilliant <laughs> um and so uh so so i can tell you sort of like why it was why it switched to an on first and then i'll talk about the holy fuck bonkers stuff um if that makes any sense please do okay so the reason the reason i think it's just a show that is easy to like and easy to love is because it is a show that is utterly compelling despite having relatively low conflict um and i i don't know if i can explain the appeal of like super low conflict in this day and age but like no you're never going to worry that somebody's going to die and you're never going to worry that one of the characters is going to like completely like you know screw over the other character or like you know betray them to their worst enemy there aren't any enemies really um and um it's a show in which the showrunners have explicitly said they're just they're just not going to write a world in which most of the negative bigotry and stuff that exists in our world, uh, it just it, it's it's not a part of the show, and so you know there's no question like people don't freak out about the possibility of anyone being gay. People don't freak there's there's no like weird racism. There's no I mean like. It's just sort of like, we're just going to accept that people are who they are and that's what they're going to be. And it's totally fine. And all of the conflict comes from other places. And that is a really appealing thing to have in this day and age. Um, it's also, I have to say, a show in which um, the two main characters are men, but which has strong female characters who are not treated as like sidelines or jokes at any point. Um, and which has, uh, which, which regularly tries to, you know, just treat gender norms as like, yeah, whatever gender norms, you know, we recognize they exist, but like, why bother? We're going to do some stuff that just, you know, like is totally different and nobody's going to think it's strange. And so. the female characters also have their own plot lines. Like they have things that they are doing that don't revolve around the male characters entirely. Yeah, that's true for some of them. I, I, you know, okay. Yeah. I mean, like, some of them, so, not so every all. character in the show sort of has their own plot line that intersects the show with, uh, to some degree. I think that the female characters are not treated any differently than the male characters. For a number of reasons, there are fewer female characters than male characters. Like it's a show about male figure skating and like they show all the male figure skaters who are skating against Yuri. And so it is going to be male dominated, but it doesn't feel like it's like, you know, and that's because women suck. Mm-hmm. Which is which is sometimes what can happen if you have like an entirely male dominated show. That that's I think the surface explanation. It's low conflict. It's like it's like low bigotry. It's a very sweet show um, that is just delightful. Um, and 
it was it's crafted with an enormous amount of love and attention to detail that like really you can't you can't I can't even explain how how hard they have worked to try and make this feel like a real figure skating show. Um, One of the things I really liked about the early episodes that I watched um, was that Yuri is in, is in the championships. He's a, he's competing on a global level. Yes. And he's a little embarrassed. Yeah. He hasn't, he's a little embarrassed that he hasn't done better. And yet his whole town is like, Oh my gosh, you did this thing. Do you know how amazing it is that you did this thing? And he was like, no, I was just on this ice rink with all these picture people who did the thing better than me. So no, I'm not aware of how awesome it is that I did the thing. And he'll tell his whole town is like, dude, you did the thing. Yeah. It's not actually the whole town. It's like literally the whole world. (laughs) So, I mean, okay. So, so, so this is, this is, we're going to start shading into like the holy fuck bonkers level but i love this part bring it so so here's the thing um yuri is a grand prix finalist and when he first introduces himself i'm trying to figure out how to introduce the level of holy fuck bonkers i am about this so uh, uh how do we do this okay so let's just try it this way so the the first thing that yuri tells you about himself is his name which is katsuki yuri and the second thing he tells you about himself is a lie. Um, and it's not, it, it's more obvious that it's a lie in Japanese than it is in English, but it's a lie. So the second thing he says is in English, it gets translated as I'm a dime a dozen figure skater. Okay. Um, and it, it does, it, that's not actually what it says in Japanese. And the reason it, it isn't translated from Japanese is because the actual thing he uses is the, the official designation he has as a figure skater in Japan. Um, and that official de- designation, like I- I'm trying to figure out like how to convey what that would be like Japanese people who, uh, figure skating is a bigger sport there. Um, and also, uh, this is not a designation that we have in the U S but like, it would be like saying I'm a dime a dozen first round draft pick quarterback. And I just messed up my first Super Bowl, Right. Like, you know, when you hear that phrase that like, you're not a dime a dozen fucking quarterback. Right. Because you were a first round draft pick and you went to the Super Bowl, right? right? And that is essentially what he says about himself as a figure skater in Japanese. Like I, ha- I and, and like they're at, he, as he says this, they're showing a picture of the JSF website with his face on it, and he's literally the only person listed in that classification, right? So he's like the best skater from Japan, and he's telling you he's a dime a dozen figure skater. Yeah. So, okay. So, so, so let's set, so, so that's, that's, that's thing number one. Like he's totally embarrassed about the fact that he completely flubbed the Grand Prix final. And the amazing thing about the show, and this is where we start shading into like the the places where I get just really excited about it on a narrative level, um, is that you, you believe what he's saying, even though you're being shown something completely different. I like the conflict between how he sees himself and how the people around him see him because they're both right. And they're both like, they're both contributing to the problem. And it's a very simple narrative conflict that requires a lot of work to resolve when you're actually telling and constructing the story, which is one of the reasons I really like it as an establishing narrative tension. It's, it's all about finding and constructing a balance in a situation that is completely right. unbalanced all the time. Um, I think the other thing is, I think it is just impossible to not be a little bit unhinged if you are that high level, right? 
and I, 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 I don't, I don't know if unhinged is the right word to use, but like, you know, I don't think people who are like, yeah, six, that's pretty awesome. I don't think they get to be number one. The fact that he, that Yuri thinks that he is like not as good as he actually is, is in fact a predominant reason why he has gotten to be as good as he was and why he continues to get better because he never tells himself, yeah, I'm good enough. And that's an interesting thing because it's like the show is very non-judgy of him for that. It's not like, oh, Yuri, you know, like the real problem is that you just need to accept your, the fact that you are like, you know, just not as good as other skaters. So Yuri is a skater and most of the people in the story are skaters. But you mentioned that there is a specific thing that really made you take, like, take the super deep nerd dive. Like, this is nerd diving to the point where you need one of those little pods that will withstand the ocean pressure. Like, this is deep nerd diving, which is, like, my favorite kind. Um, and I mean that with all oh, res- respect and affection, by the way. I'm not trying to say, oh, yeah, you, you went off the deep end. Like, no, deep nerd diving in the pressure suit is the best kind. What is it about this story that made you go... Okay, get me the get me the get me the deep sea pod. We're going in. Okay, so for me, the thing that made me take the deep sea dive is um, it, it took me a while to sort of like figure out what it was. But what it what this is my catnip? Why is this my catnip? No, 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 no. I knew why it was kept my catnip. I just I just had to like spend a lot of time figuring out what they were doing uh, because they do something. Um, oh gosh, I can't spoil the show. Okay, so they, what it comes down to is. The show was doing things narratively that fit into something that had been bothering me about writing romance. Um, and so I kind of need to talk a little bit about, about where I was before I watched the show and then sort of like what I've been thinking about and how this all plays in. So um, mm-hmm. I have to say one of the things that I've discovered having written however many romance novels it is at this point um, is that the more and more I write the more I feel like I'm becoming a black moment skeptic, I don't like them. I don't like writing black moments. I don't like what they do. Like there's, there, there's what I'm doing. I mean, there's sort of like the story, like recognized narrative structure. And then there's sort of like what I'm trying to do with a story, which is, um, you know, get a couple of people who are coming together and learning things about each other and making them do things that are, that are essentially cruel, right? Like many, most black moments are very cruel. And it's like, you know, I can write them and I can motivate them and I can make it make sense and I can do the grovel afterwards and all this stuff. I I, I just, having done it so many times, it's like occasionally I can get one that's like, okay, well, this feels like it works okay. But um, I I just really am beginning to dislike them as as a construction. And I understand narratively the purpose they're serving, right? They're, they're sort of like, bringing tensions to a head it gives you a chance to do like all this stuff but i just don't like them i don't like them that's cool i don't like them either this is great keep going yeah. <laughs> so, like and and you know I, I it feels like essentially what you have to be doing if you're writing to a black moment is you're writing to a moment you're writing to towards cruelty and i don't like that you know i haven't done it enough i just don't like it and i i, I feel like there needs to be a better way um and there has to be something that can do something that serves an emotional narrative purpose in a way that is not the characters being cruel to each other. Okay. Right. So this, this is sort of like the backdrop I had in my head going in to Uriana Ice. 
Um, and that is like this, this, this feeling that just like every time I write a black moment, I like it less and less and less and less. And I feel like, you know, it's not that, it's not that I'm doing things worse. It's that I'm, I've done it so many times that I just, I can see that every single way you come at it has its issues. So I, I, I have, I've had this on my, my, on my brain for years, like just, you know, and it's sort of been growing and growing with every iteration. And uh, it was kind of, so I guess I kind of have to get into like some of the other stuff that was going on in my life that has sort of been this ongoing pile of steaming dumpster fire. At the point when I watched Dear on Ice, I was about six months out of one of the worst depressions I have ever experienced as an adult. Um, and the reason for it, and like sometimes depression just happens cyclically, but this one, this one was really sort of like started because uh, I had an experience with the judge who uh, sexually harassed me and emotionally abused me that sort of like pushed me back into that time period in a way. And I did not know what I could do about it or how to move forward or anything. And the idea of writing something that had any element of cruelty in it or just to me, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, I was, I was at this, I was, I, I was really at a standstill. Right. And it was not a place where you wanted to hang out no. either. No, not a mental space that you want to sort yeah. of exist. So in. I, I was, I was kind of, um, that was, that was, that, that sucked. We'll just leave it at that. Right. So I'm in the space where, uh, you know, I don't like narratively what I feel like, uh, I, I, I am quote unquote supposed to be writing and, but I don't know what the alternative is in terms of like having that narrative structure. And so when I hit Yuri on Ice, um, there was a specific moment in the show. Um, and maybe we should talk about it later under like a spoiler tag, because I really don't want to spoil it anyway, but I feel like we have to talk about it. I can introduce the, the narrative element because it happens in small ways and it happens in, in like large ways. And I'll talk about the large way at the end, but it happens in small ways as well. And that is this. Um, and it, it took me like an ungodly number of rewatches to try and break down what was happening and understand narratively what they were doing. But like, okay, so when you're learning to write, people say, oh, you should show, don't tell, right? Um, and, you know, then you get to write a little bit and the actual role you realize is something sort of like, okay, you know, have to know when to tell and know when to show because nobody wants to be shown everything. And some things are just work best when you tell. Right. Um, and then uh, there's what Yuri on Ice does, which is it tells you a lot of stuff. And most of what they tell you is just like flat out lies. So like that example that we had earlier with Yuri, uh, when he first introduces himself saying that he's a dime a dozen figure skater, right? These sorts of things happen in the show all the time they have characters saying things and doing something that demonstrates that what they're saying is a complete lie there isn't a character in the show who doesn't have this to some degree okay so as a very basic example there's a korean skater named sungil and sungil uh has a point in the show where after he has delivered a short program, he's giving an interview and he says he's, he's been, he's been presented up until that point as someone who's very calculating, very cold. They refer to him as expressionless and, you know, so forth. Right. Uh, and he says in his interview, well, cheers from the audience never affect my performance. And as he's saying it, the audience cheers another skater and he turns to look. And it's like, 
it's one of those things. It, it happens so swiftly that you don't even notice it, but it's like, it becomes, makes it so entirely clear in that one second that what you're being presented is not in fact what happens. So what you what you are being shown and what you are being told are establishing so much conflict. Yeah. I'm not even sure the word is conflict. I, I think the word is tension. tension. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like there's two stories that are being told. There's the story that is being told by what you are being told, and there's a story that is being told by what you are shown. And they're two entirely different stories. And they gradually, with almost every character, like in some ways big and in some ways small, they they come to a conflict where you realize, oh, the thing that I believed about that character because it was what I was told is in fact false. And this is true for every character in the show. It's amazing. And the thing that this allows them to do is set up a narrative structure that is, you know, I'm not going to say there's no black moment because there is something that is somewhat like a black moment, um, but it's not, it, it doesn't feel the same way. And I think the biggest narrative punch, the biggest emotional punch that you get is something that is just utterly delightful. So now I have to go into spoiler mode. Okay, folks, I said I'd warn you. From now until 29 minutes and three seconds, you should start skipping ahead if you want to avoid spoilers. All right, spoilers, bring it. Okay, so here's the spoiler mode. Um, in the very first episode of Yuri on Ice, when you're introduced to Victor, so Victor is Yuri's uh, coach. Um, and Victor, to, from Yuri's point of view, Victor shows up in his family's onsen, which is a business that they own, which is a hot springs. And Victor announces that he's going to be Yuri's coach, but naked. Um, and Yuri has no idea why he's there or what the fuck is going on. And all you know about him is what you've been shown on TV and what other people have said, which is he's kind of a mercurial genius playboy who, like, you know, just has been winning figure skating forever. And you have no idea why he's there. And the best reason Yuri comes up with is, and he probably needed to find inspiration somewhere. And I guess this is what he thought would work. So you have no idea what's going on. Um, right. But, you know, like gradually over the course of, you know, the nine months that they are together since he shows up in his onsen, they get closer and closer. And it's pretty clear that they have um, an emotional and romantic relationship. And then suddenly uh, we are hit with episode 10, which has to be the most fucking brilliant bit of storytelling that I have ever seen in my life. My God, I am just in awe. Like, so this is the point where you finally get an episode from Victor's point of view. And Victor's point of view is not at all what you were imagining. Like a lot of stuff happens in episode 10. It is kind of amazing. Like halfway through episode 10, you have this moment where Yuri asks Victor to marry him essentially. Um, and that is clearly not the high point of the episode, um, which is like freaking amazing. So the high point of the episode is at the very end, they're sitting with a bunch of friends and Yuri says, oh, you know, I had no idea. Uh, you know, this is so weird to like sit with people and like talk to them before the Grand Prix final. At the last final, I never talked to anyone. Like I didn't even talk to Victor and Victor just loses it because uh, the thing that you don't know is that Yuri uh, at the last Grand Prix final banquet, got drunk on champagne, uh, blacked out, doesn't remember any of it, and completely seduced Victor. Oh my God. <laughs> and Victor has been um, just like pining after him the entire time. And 
So then you go back and you rewatch the episodes and you're like, oh my God, this is not like, you know, a world-class playboy, you know, just playing with Yuri. This is like a complete dork who has no idea what he's doing being like, what the fuck? Why don't you like me anymore? What did I do wrong? And it's so fucking beautiful. Like it's one of the most amazing things that I have ever seen. So, uh, yeah, I think I said at the beginning that this is a deceptively simple show about a sexy, popular genius and the dork who wins his heart. And it is, except the thing that you learn is that Yuri is, in fact, the sexy, popular genius that everyone wants. And Victor is a complete dork. So (laughs) It's so freaking brilliant. I don't even know how to describe it. It's the most delightful thing I've ever seen. Um. Because it turns everything on end. And yet, it's like sometimes you have these twists and you're like, oh, no, I don't believe it. You go back. Everything, it's in there from the very, very start. You have these people making these comments to Yuri that are just sort of like, you're like, why the fuck did he say that? It's like, oh, because he remembers that time Yuri got drunk and started pole dancing half naked. Right. Got it. Right. Which is almost a twist on an amnesia plot. It is. It's like, it is. It is. I mean, that's essentially what it is. Um, it's one of those things where this happened and I was like, how the hell? So this, at the point when that episode aired, um, this, the show was already ridiculously popular. Like it had taken off like nobody's business in Japan, uh, worldwide. It was already cast er, crashing crunchy roll, you know? So people were already really into it. And, you know, like there were theories, there were like, you know, thousands and thousands of words of theories and many, many languages about like what Victor was doing and blah, 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 blah. And like, nobody guessed it. Nobody guessed it. Like no one, no one person ever stood up after and was like, actually, I am the one that guessed that in fact, like no one had any idea. And yet when you go back, it is all there. Wow. So it is like this beautiful story that is being, it's a beautiful story without the stuff that you don't know is there. And then you go back and there's like this whole other story that is being told and you don't know it. You're being told it. it, It's been told to you uh, until everything's revealed. And they do that over and over and over again. They tell you something. It's a lie. They reveal the truth and you're like, fuck, that's amazing. So it's this, it's, 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 it's this little narrative structure. That's not, it's not conflict in the sense of like, you know, people say conflict is something that a character wants but cannot have, you know, or something along those lines. It's not that. It's 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 an entire narrative structure that I don't see a lot. Um, and so I kind of went off the deep end because I was trying to figure out what the narrative structure was and how you did it and how it would work and all of this stuff. Um, so that's kind of my, mm, yeah. That's... <laughs> That that was it. That was that was it for me. The deep sea diving pod. Yeah, that was that was the point where I was like, okay, um, I am seeing something by a genius storyteller, and I want to figure out how they did that because I I think we need more of it because it's so delightful. Like, can you imagine fiction where at the climactic moment, instead of like hurting you, it delights you? Yep, I love romances like that. So I've been thinking about it a lot and trying to figure out how this works in romance, and I'm still I'm still not there. Um, or, or at least it's not that I'm I'm not there. It's that it's going to take me a while 
to, to really sort of get my mind around it and like work it out. But this is one of those things that I've been thinking about. Um, I think that this is something I, I personally want to do. And I personally feel like this is something that will bring my fiction to a different level. I don't know if it's a level that people will like, but I feel like it's something I need to figure out how to do. Um, it unfortunately makes me a much slower writer right now because I'm trying, I feel like I'm learning and I'm trying to learn things that I don't know and like understanding mm-hmm. what someone else did and being able to do it myself are not the same thing, but Hey, have you seen a narrative structure like this in other programs, other anime, other um, maybe Korean or Japanese dramas in other storytelling cultures? Have you ever seen something like this? Well, actually, so it has a name. And let me look it up before I say it out loud. Uh, yeah, it's Kisho Tenketsu. Um, and it is a, a story structure that developed in China and sort of is very common in the East. Um, which is not, uh, it's not the typical story structure that we have in the West. Okay. So it involves uh, introducing a character and developing the characters in a way that does not involve changes. uh, And then followed by an unexpected development and then a conclusion that sort of wraps the two develop the development and the twist together. So the correct answer is yes, I have seen it. And once I started figuring out that I was looking for a specific thing, then it was like, oh, actually, people have been doing this for ages. You're just the idiot who only figured it out here in the year 2017. Because <laughs> what you're describing, the, um, the, the, the story being told simultaneously on multiple layers, um, revelations making previous scenes mean entirely different things. I've watched a couple of um, dramas in subtitle. I have a lot of trouble with subtitles yeah. partially because of wearing bifocals. And yeah. um, I get very optically exhausted because I'm cross-eyed and it has to do with how my eyes focus. Watching the screen and then focusing on the subtitles and then going back to the screen. Mm-hmm. I can I do not have any kind of endurance for that activity. Somewhere yeah. there's an eye doctor going, I have exercises for that. But watching anime, not. Or watching anything with subtitles, not a good use of yeah. that exercise. So I have a very limited endurance, but there was one show called Healer that did a lot of that, but it was also telling a story in the present and in the past based on one particular item in the story. Plus, you know, the hero uh, was a courier with extremely high level fighting skills and the woman that he falls for can't watch fighting happen because it um, gives her a completely uh, full body panic attack. So he's trying to protect her and also not let her see what he's doing. And there's all of this stuff going on. And I'm thinking, you know, there's a little bit of similarity here, this sort of multiple, uh, multiple stories being told simultaneously with a completely different sequence to um I guess you would call them the beats or the, the yeah. major turning point of the story that I'm used to in a novel structure, which I'm very familiar with. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's, I think, I think that essentially what it comes down to is uh, not every, <laughs> the entire world does not use Western storytelling structure. Go figure. What? I know. Weird. The devil you say. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, so another, another great example, if you want something that I think is like, really classically uh, Kishou Tenketsu is um, your name. Uh, 
do not wait for J.J. Abrams' version. Like, I don't know what the fuck he's going to do to it. There's just no way that, that, that that's going to turn out well. But, um, you know, you can, you can again, watch it in subtitle. Sorry. Um, and it's, it, it is a romance. Uh, your name is a romance. And it's beautiful. And uh, the premise is that there's a boy and a girl who are switching places. Like, they, switch, they, they swap into each other's bodies for several days and they don't know why. Um, and they don't know what's going on, but they, they, they communicate by like leaving each other notes on their smartphones and stuff and like trying not to like screw things up. And like the girl, when she's in the boy's body is way more popular with girls. And, um, it's, it's, it's very, very cute. And then when you finally figure out what's going on, it's like, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of mind blowing. Does that have a black moment? It does in a sense, but not. No, it, it, it does not have what I would call like, I mean, it does have this narrative climax that resolves in this very interesting way, but I would not call it a black moment. The only time the characters are cruel to each other is in the beginning when they're swapping bodies. They're like, what the fuck? Why are you ruining my life? <laughs> I think though that you're onto something in the idea that there is a certain amount of exhaustion as a reader that I feel when I'm like, oh yeah, we're heading towards we're heading towards the 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 dark moment where people are gonna right. be cruel or someone's gonna be a turd for possibly flimsy reasons. I totally understand the the exhaustion of that. Yeah. Um, and I love stories where there's there is enough tension and issues within the characters, the internal conflict that they have to reconcile within themselves or just between two people without them being cruel to each other. That's always been much more interesting to me, but harder to find. Yeah. So you think this, this you think that Yuri on Ice has a great appeal to romance fans from the get-go? Um, yes and no. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to oversell this because it, it is a romance in many senses, but it's also a romance where many of the sort of like romantic beats are not shown on screen. And you have to surmise that they have happened from the character's behavior. Right. Uh, right. And that's, I think, so I don't know. I don't want people to think that it's going to be like full on romancy because it's very much about Yuri skating. It's a, it, like the, 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 the central story is Yuri wants to get to the Grand Prix final again so he can redeem himself from the la- his last abysmal failure. Um, right. So that is the central story. And there are romance beats that clearly happen and you are, they're hinted at, but they don't actually show you that they're happening. Right. And so you, you, you have to surmise that some things have happened from like Yuri and Victor have a conversation and then you're essentially shown them again, like what is, what must be like three or four months later, like as a, like time skips and between that conversation where you see them sort of like resolving to like be able to be more open with each other. And like, when you see them again, then they're completely comfortable with like touching and hugging each other and so forth and whatnot. And so, you know, that stuff has happened over that time period, but you don't know what it is. Whereas in a romance, if, if we did that, like if I, as an author did that, people would be like, what are you doing? Like, I want to, I want to see the first time they hold hands. I want to see the first time, like, I want to see every single little one of those first and you don't get to skip them. But it's very clear that things get skipped. And then later you have to work out that they happen by implication. So, so that's my only caveat. I think it's great for romance. Oh, my second caveat about it is that there is fat shaming in the show. And if that bothers, if that's really going to bother you, um, then you should be, be aware that it happens. 
Right. It sounds like, though, not showing those moments and, and engaging the viewer to interpret that they have happened is like aiming a very large arrow at the fanfic parts of people's brains. Um, yeah. <laughs> like if you ever had an inclination for fanfic, this will, this will, yeah, yeah. this will help. I think if we went to archive <laughs> of our own, uh, we would probably find that there's a lot of Yuri on Ice fanfic. In fact, we could probably do that right yeah. now. Let's do a comparison of Yuri on Ice, Ice versus Twilight. Which? Oh, jeez! <laughs> that's like you just you just took it to the World yeah. Series. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> It's boss battle. It's like fanfic boss battle. I mean, so one of the things that's weird about this is that Twilight kind of overlaps. Well, whatever. I won't get into that. There's 4,922 works in Twilight series, Stephanie Myers. So you want to know how many works there are in Yuri on Ice? Uh, yeah, go for it. 30,170. 30,000? Yes. Oh, my gosh. And that has been out since 2016. Yeah, it's compared to Harry Potter, which is 189,000. Wow. So 189,000 is more than 30,000, but Harry Potter has also been around a lot longer. So one-sixth of the works in Harry Potter. Um, To be fair, Archive of Our Own uh, did not actually come into existence when Harry Potter was in its biggest swing, and so this this may be sort of undercounting. But yeah. You know, like if we wanted to, like, I, I, I can't think of anything else that remotely has that kind of sway. So this has a fandom with a capital F. It has a fandom with a capital Fabulous. F. Fabulous. I love that. So it seemed to me that watching Yuri has also led you to follow ice skating much more closely. Is that the sequence of events or were you into ice skating, watched Yuri and were like, oh, these two go together marvelously well? I have always been into ice skating, like ever since I watched um, the Olympics and Sarajevo when I was however many years old I was then. I think I was somewhere between the ages of six and eight. I don't actually, I'd have to do the math. Um, But so I have been really into figure skating since then on and off because I have not had a TV all my life and until figure skating started streaming and we started having YouTube. So I, I sort of like was into it and then I didn't have a TV for a long time. And so, you know, it's hard to follow sports when you can't access them. Um, and so then I got back into it, like sort of YouTube era when you could like get, uh, videos of people's skates. Um, and so I was already into it, but not like as into it, um, as I was when Yuri on ice, Yuri on ice played. And then I started like being way more into figure skating afterwards. Yeah. That's the sequence of events. So has your watching of figure skating been, like, are you able to see more of the detail and more of the specifics of it because of your deep dive into the series? Yeah. So, I mean, this is one of those things where, you know, the more you know about figure skating, the more you realize how much love and effort went into the show. Yeah. So, um, as an example, Japan has two commentators at uh, most of their announced shows, um, their, their live broadcasts. Um, and uh, one of the things you realize as you start like really like going for Yuzuru Hanyu videos is that uh, one of the announcers uh, is a, 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 fig- a former figure skater who they actually have as one of the, they actually hired that exact dude to play himself on the show 
as an announcer at the first Grand Prix final. And then like, like, and, and then like at the, at the actual final, they have, you know, Oda Nobunari, who is another figure skater and they have, you know, Stefan Lambiel. So, you know, the degree of like actually trying to make this ex- as much like figure skating as possible is just ridiculous. So yeah, this, I mean, it's obvious that the people that were making this have been fans of figure skating for a really long time. I've also seen some images of, of background characters that were clearly based on real people. Yeah. I mean, so, okay. That's a little trickier. So um, the extent to which characters are based on real people, there are definitely characters that share characteristics with real people, but they don't share all of them. Right. Okay. So as an example, Yuri, the main character um, to the extent that he is based on anyone, he is based on uh, Daisuke Takahashi, who was a Japanese figure skater who uh, quit in 2014 and just restarted this year um, as a 32-year-old man, which is pretty awesome. That's really um, incredible. But he is like a freaking amazing skater. But like some of the things that they say about Yuri, like he's a skater with a glass heart, et cetera, and so forth, are things that they said about Takahashi. So there's that. Um uh, and then there's things like um, Dennis Ten was a skater from Kazakhstan, and Odebek Alten is also from Kazakhstan. Um, and they do have, I should say, had, because Dennis Ten unfortunately died. Um, but uh, they had a handful of things in common. Like Dennis Ten had a motorcycle, and so did Odebeck, and it was just like a bunch of weird things that just makes it very clear Ooh. that they had some things in common. But there's some things about them that aren't the same. Like I don't think Dennis Ten was a DJ like Odebeck is. Right. So, you know, it's it's clear that there's some things that they are doing sort of like as a nod to figure skating, and then there's others that are less so. So Victor has several nods to um, Johnny Weir. I have seen in costuming. Yes, I've seen I've seen pictures of that, and I've seen um, I've seen a number of figure skaters talking about how much they love the show. Yeah, uh, I mean that's the other thing is that I, I think there are a huge number of figure skaters who have watched the show um, and who are really excited about it. So um, Julian Yi from Malaysia uh, has talked about the fact that he feels like he's very much a fidget. He's from you know Southeast Asia, and it's skating isn't big there, mm-hmm. but he's successful. So if you were going to recommend the show, how do people in the States specifically get to watch it? Where should we go if we were like, okay, we're in, we're, we're going to climb on board the, mm-hmm. the introvert submarine with you and go deep dive. Where do we watch this? Okay. So uh, the place, there, there's two possibilities. You can watch it at Crunchyroll, which has the subtitles, um, or you could watch it at Funimation, which has the dub version. Um, and people argue about which is better, and I'm not going to pass judgment because they all have their pluses and minuses. Right. But if you do have some kind of, you know, uh, reason why you wouldn't be able to absorb subtitles, then I would say there's no reason why you can't watch the dub. All right. I'll give it a try. Are there any books that you've read re- recently that you want to recommend in addition to Yuri on Ice? The, the things that I have read recently that I've loved. Alyssa Coles, oh, why can't I remember the name? Not A Princess in Theory, the one after A Duke, Duke in Disguise. By, no, A Duke, A Duke by Default. Duke by Thank Default. You. So A Duke by Default by Alyssa Cole. I love that. There is something about men making swords that is really great. And um, I think that Portia, who has to learn that 
like having ADHD just makes her different, but she's still an awesome person. I, I liked her so much. She was great. She was really great. Tessa Dare had the Rogues Rush In, which was the Regents Who Duet by Tessa Dare and Christy Caldwell. Um, there's something about Tessa's writing that always makes me so happy. It's like, yeah, me too. When I read her words, I always have this smile on my face. Like, and I, I have a really amazing resting bitch face. Like when I'm not thinking about my expression, it is like, you know, come up to me and I will kill you is what it looks like. I mean, I'm not thinking that, but like, you know, but Tessa's, Tessa's writing is so good that it like always just, it's, it's, it's too powerful for even my resting bitch face. Let's just say that. Um, she always makes me smile. She always makes me smile. And it's, it's both the big things and the little things. The fact that I love the way she uses language. I love the dialogue. I just, I, her books are just, they, they, they are, they make me smile. And I don't think I could say I could give it higher praise in this day and age that they, they can always make me smile. I read the other night, her novella in the Dukes who did something to Christmas anthology. (laughs) They did yeah. a thing. The Dukes Who Did a Thing Involving Christmas. Um, I read that the other night and I went to sleep in the best mood. It was just so I, adorable, sweet, and I delicious. I haven't read that yet. I, I have it waiting on my Kindle, but I have not read it yet. And I am really excited about it because there is, um, I mean, first of all, a lot of awesome authors. But also, I don't know. It's one of those things that I'm saving for when I. Yeah, it's high grade. It's very, very yeah. high grade. Awesome. Very high grade. So uh, since we are talking about Yuri and Ice, I am going to recommend a Yuri on Ice fan fiction. Um, Please. And this is, I have to say, one of the most brilliant things I read in all of 2017. Um, it is a fan fiction called Blackbird, author Sixpences. Um, and the premise is, uh, and don't freak out at the premise. I will, I, I will let you, I'm going to spoil something that's in the first chapter. Um, uh, the premise is that, uh, Victor is posing as uh, a Nazi, but he is actually uh-huh. working. He is actually a spy working for Russia because he hates the Nazis. And Yuri is working in the Japanese embassy, but it turns out he is actually also a spy. They both hate Nazis. There are no Nazis that are good. There's no such thing as a good Nazi in this book. So, getting that out of the way, um, and they uh, end up oh. working together. Uh, to defeat Nazis, and then it goes. The story goes on past the end of World War II. It's like freaking amazing. It is amazing. Um, and if you ever want to read like an actual Nazi romance that is not about Nazis and is like Nazis actually the worst, and and they're gay, and you know I, I don't always like Yorianized fan fictions where they recognize homophobia since the show doesn't put it in. But in the context of Victor and Yuri fight Nazis together, it actually does make sense. And that brings us to the end of this episode. I want to thank Courtney Milan for hanging out and nerding out with me. And I hope you enjoyed that as well. If you have anime that you want to tell us about, uh, we would love to hear about it. You can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or you can call and leave a message at 1-201-371-3272. That's 1-201-371-3272. If you would like to find Courtney Milan, she is at CourtneyMilan.com or you can find her on Twitter at Courtney Milan.
Joining me for this portion of the outro is Zeb, who is scratching, so that's the noise you just heard. This week's podcast and transcript are brought to you by Vi Keeland and Penelope Ward's Hate Notes, available now from Motley Romance. From New York Times bestselling authors Vi Keeland and Penelope Ward comes an unexpected love story of secondhand hearts and second chances. It starts with a mysterious blue note sewn into a wedding dress. When Charlotte Darling takes her unworn bridal gown to a vintage clothing store to sell, she discovers a note stitched into the lining of a different dress. The note, handwritten on blue paper, simply reads, Thank you for making all of my dreams come true. The name embossed on the blue stationery? Reed Eastwood. Charlotte finds the note endearing and fantasizes about the man who wrote it. Then, thanks to a strange twist of fate, Reed Eastwood becomes Charlotte's new boss. Charlotte is more determined than ever to uncover the story behind that tiny blue love letter. But that story is nothing compared to the one that starts to unfold between Charlotte and Reed. It's getting hotter, sweeter, and more surprising than either of them could have imagined. From something blue to something new. USA Today's Happy Ever After called Hate Notes a must-read, an engaging, funny, and seriously sexy romance. Hate Notes by Vi Keeland and Penelope Ward is available now from Montlake Romance. If you have supported the show with a monthly pledge on Patreon, thank you very, very much. You are helping make sure that the show continues each week, that every episode gets a transcript, and all episodes are accessible to everyone. And if you would like to join the Patreon community, it would be super nifty. Have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Your pledges are deeply, deeply appreciated. Are there other ways to support the show? Always. Leave a review wherever you're listening or however you're listening or just grab random people and tell them about the show. I'm sure that's going to be excellent word of mouth. Or just hang out with me each week if I'm in your eardrums. Thank you very, very much. Our music is provided by Sassy Outwater. Thank you, Sassy. And I can hear you saying, Sarah, it's not Thanksgiving yet. I know. But there are more than six songs on this album that I love, so I'm starting the holiday music a little bit early. This is my favorite holiday album from Deviations Project, not the least of which, because of its name, this album is called Adeste Fiddles. This is probably my favorite track, although there are others that I love. This is Three Ships. You can find this album at Amazon or wherever you get your funky music. Coming up on the site next week, we have so much rad stuff. We have a new edition of Litwicks, where Amanda pairs scented candles with backlist titles for a completely immersive reading experience. And if you, like me, are a little surprised by how early it gets dark this time of year, lit candles make a wonderful difference. We have a guest review over the weekend, Hide Your Wallet Part 2, where we share what books we've learned about in the past few weeks. We have a new edition of Romance Wanderlust, plus reviews, gift guides, a special rec league from a request from a mom who wants to introduce her daughter to romances. And of course, every week we have books on sale every day and help a bitch out on Tuesdays. We hope that you will come hang out with us. And now it is time for the bad joke. It is my favorite part of the podcast. Well, I mean, I like a lot of it. I like most of it. Having a podcast, super fun, but the terrible joke, I really enjoy. Here comes the terrible joke. Have you heard about the importance of eating dried grapes? You haven't? You have not heard about the importance of eating dried grapes? Well, it's all about raising awareness. <laughs> um, so... <laughs>
<laughs> I'm pretty sure that the eye roll I got for that one when I, you know, tried it on my family, pretty sure the eye roll was like registering on some very sensitive scientific equipment. Thank you to Hangry Gunner for that terrible joke. Raising awareness. If you are celebrating Thanksgiving this week, happy Thanksgiving. I am entirely grateful and thankful for your being here and for hanging out with me and enjoying the podcast. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Courtney Milan and all of the animals currently in my office, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you here back next week.